The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Acts 2, 22 through 47. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption." This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord your God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Sacred City. I want to welcome you to our Sunday gathering, and also welcome you to the first Sunday gathering of 2020. Um, We're going to jump into the sermon, but first I've got a little announcement. We got really quick, if we could put the slide up for the Dwell Bible app. Um, We've done something a little special for you as a church this year. How many, we all like Christmas presents, but you're getting a New Year's present, all right? This, this is a new audio Bible, and it's, it's an app, it's, you can find it in the app store of whatever um, Apple app store or whatever knockoff you have. And um, the cool thing about this is it reads to you and it's got four or five different voices and you can choose different categories. You can choose different books. It helps you memorize the Bible. You can play it on your commute. Um, if, you, if you are someone who maybe has a hard time sleeping at night or deals with anxiety, they've got like specific like scripture um, categories for like anxiety or to help you sleep and you listen to it. It's got nice music. 
It's a really cool app. Now listen, I bought this app and I worked through it and I used it a lot last year. It's about, I think it's like $30 a person a year to have this app. Um, but what we've done is we've, we as a church have bought one for all of you, okay? And so, yeah, see, you gotta, I'm, I'm up here, right? I'm giving you something, okay? Uh, I wasn't lying, right? You gotta buy the shirt, but you get the Bible, okay? <laughs> all right. So it's, re- it's, it's, it's really outstanding. For those of you who, and you, if you don't, if it's hard for you to read um, consistently, and you struggle with that, and maybe getting through the Bible in a year, they have a Bible in a, they have many Bible in a year plans that you literally can listen and, and be read to. And it really helps the, the Word of God get down into you and, and it helps you memorize it. So um, all you have to do is go to sacredcitychurch.com, and right there on our homepage um, is a little is a link that says the Dwell Bible app. You click on that and it'll bring you into the Sacred City Church uh, Dwell Bible app opportunity. Uh, We want to spend more time in the Word of God this year. We want to spend more time in God's presence. And so we've got you some tools to help you do that. Also, Lord willing, and the UPS man makes it on time, we'll have another gift for you next week that you won't want to miss. So just throw that out there, all right? Let me go ahead and pray, and we're going to jump into the sermon today. Father, uh, we thank you for going before us. We thank you for being a God who is eternal outside of time, And we thank you for being a God who's revealed yourself to your people. Um, You've revealed yourself in many different ways through creation and uh, through special revelation and through your word and through Jesus. Um, Father, and I ask that today you would reveal yourself to your people once again. Um, That you would show up here through the power of your Holy Spirit. You'd think through my mind and, and you would speak to my vocal cords. That you'd allow us to hear what you would say to your church. And you'd really just prepare our hearts and minds uh, to worship you for what you've done in the past and also um, to look forward in hope to what you're going to do in 2020. Father, we give you this, the rest of this uh, time. Keep us awake, keep us focused, and uh, speak to your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, a healthy practice for us as a church at the beginning of a new year is to look back and to look forward, to look back over this past year at what God has done through us so that we can rejoice God's pleased by that. Uh, We're not doing it to brag or to boast. We're looking back to rejoice in what God has done. It pleases God. We also want to look forward in hopeful expectation of what God will do through us in the new year um, so that we can plan and prepare ourselves for what God might have for us in 2020. Now, interestingly enough, this at the beginning of a decade, it always brings up special things for me because 10 years ago, uh, my life drastically changed. And we really started this church 10 years ago, though we didn't go public until eight years ago. And eight years ago, we launched the public gathering of Sacred City Church. So I'm going to get into that a little bit. We're going to tell a little bit about the story of Sacred City, how we came to be, and kind of how you got here, in a sense. Uh, first off, I was I grew up in a, in a Christian home. I grew up uh, really loving God. I went to church camp. I went to ch- church pretty much any time the doors were open. But then in junior high, there were a lot of circumstances that I don't have time to go into detail about. Uh, my parents stopped going to church for a season. And I began, listen, here's the deal. We're all worshipers. No matter if you go to church or not, you're always worshiping. You just transfer what you worship. So I used to worship God. And then in junior high, I came to worship the gods of girls and sports. It wasn't until my senior year, late until my senior year of high school, that God gripped my heart and drew me back into a relationship with him and his church. Uh, My family began to attend church on a weekly basis again, and God converted me, God saved me, or God did something in me. If I was already saved before, I'm not 100% sure, but God, he awakened me to his grace. And for the first time in my life, I had an immense hunger for him and reading the Bible and uh, really, I couldn't. I, I only wanted to be at church. That was my number one goal in life. Uh, I was like volunteering at church in the youth department. And I began to tell anyone who would listen to me about Jesus. Uh, to make a long story short, over the next few years, I began to feel a calling from God to full time ministry. I began to preach in the youth ministry. I then came on staff as 
I kind of had a little bit of a background by this time in, some, in construction, and I came on into the youth department as a director of operations, which then evolved into a junior high youth pastor role, and then I eventually became a youth pastor at another church in the Quad Cities. And I was a youth pastor there for seven years, which is where I met some of you, and we saw God do some pretty remarkable things there. God took a group of seven kids And he grew that into one of the largest youth ministries in the Midwest, where we saw hundreds of kids baptized. Uh, One night, I remember, we baptized 93 teenagers. I know there's some of you here that I actually baptized that night. Uh, Many teens and young adults met Jesus through that youth ministry. But then in 2009, I experienced the confluence of three things that brought about a great change in my life. First, I read Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper. Okay, this book was like a gateway drug into gospel-centered reform theology that set me on fire for the glory of God. Now, I'd always heard about the glory of God and said, some, said things about the glory of God, but I didn't understand the glory of God. And second, I discovered the Acts 29 Church Planting Network and a group of men who preached through the Bible, what's called expositionally or verse by verse. They choose a book of the Bible and they go verse by verse through that book, applying what they're learning to the issues of culture. So it's not like a dry Bible study, but they're applying it to what's going on in the culture and applying it to the real issues of life. Nearly, now listen, nearly every preacher and every church says, you know, they preach the word. We just teach the Bible here. That's all we do. Everybody kind of says that. But most of the time in our culture today, Preachers preach a little bit of the Bible and then a whole lot of their own opinions. But for the first time in my life, I was listening to preachers, these Acts 29 preachers, who were preaching long expositional sermons that were really based on the Word of God. And and when you got done with it, you feel like you just ate, you know, a T-bone steak, right? They were meaty, dense sermons, and it was super good for my soul. And then lastly, third... Because of those first two events, I began to see some glaring weaknesses in my youth ministry and the church that I was serving. We were not doing a good job at making disciples. We were pretty good at gaining a crowd and entertaining people with catchy sermon illustrations. If you want a good laugh, ask anybody from that, you could ask anybody that grew up with me in that time about some sermon illustrations I had, okay? I just bow my head in shame, all right? That's all I, that's all I can say. But we had great music and all this kind of stuff, and we were good at getting people in, but the church was meant to be more than just religious entertainment. The church is actually meant to form souls into the character of Christ. So as I looked at our church, I'm like, are we really forming souls into the character of of Christ? I don't think we are. I think people are, are more interested in Jesus than they were before, and that's good. And people are coming to church, and that's good. But are people really living as disciples and making other disciples and looking and acting and living like Jesus? I, I don't really think we are. So in my angst, I began to toss around the idea of planting a new church in the Quad Cities, a church that would be about making disciples, a church that would be serious about the glory of God, a a church that would preach through books of the Bible verse by verse. And I started praying about this, and I shared it with my family, and they were like, ooh, okay. Like, they were cautious, but they still encouraged me. I was like, I was 29 at the time. Then I shared it with my good friend, Kevin Ryan, who uh, is maybe serving over there, uh, over in the kids today. And Kevin was like, yeah, dude, you should do that. And I was like, oh. It kind of pushed me out there to like, okay, we, we should probably make this thing happen. And that week I met with my lead pastor and I shared my vision for this new church with him. And at first he was really optimistic and encouraging. And he said, when do you think you'll do this? And I don't know, I don't have any, any plans. So maybe 10 months down the road. That's the earliest I think of it. And then a week later, later I was fired. Uh, it's kind of common. If, you, if, you, uh, if you're not a part of a church planting church, it's kind of a common thing for this to happen. Now, this knocked my world into a tailspin. I was 29 years old and felt called to plant a church, 
but was totally and utterly unprepared. The idea itself was only a few weeks old, and now here we are thrown in, out into the deep end. We had no name. We had no meeting place. We had no plan. We had no vision. We had no money, and we really had no adults, okay? It was all college kids and high school kids and a few of my friends, right? On top of all of that, my wife, Amanda, was pregnant with our second child, and now I had no money, all right? I was out of a job with no severance and no health care. What were we going to do? Well, I'm an eight, so of course, we launched Sacred City six days later on a Wednesday night and had over 150 people our first gathering. Now, it was mostly students and college kids, but that's how Sacred City Church got started. And that was 10 years ago, okay? But here's the deal. I, in the sovereignty of God, I got saved at a church plant, okay? And then I became a youth pastor at a church plant. Even though they weren't church planting churches, they were churches that had been started by the founding, by the founding pastor. So I had kind of church planting in my DNA, and I didn't even know it. But these were non-denominational churches. What well, kind of sounds good in theory, but actually in practice, they can become very unhealthy because the senior pastor is an autocrat and can have ultimate power over all. He chooses what he wants to do, okay? And so I grew up in two churches that the lead senior pastor could do whatever he wanted to do. And so I said, I'm an eight, and so I will start things, and I'll push things, and I'll even do some crazy things, but I also see that there's a, a real negative to that, and there's a real downside to that, so I recognized that I needed accountability. I wanted somebody above me. I wanted somebody to tell me, hold on, you, you shouldn't do that, right? I needed some guidance, <clears throat> and so I signed up for an Acts 29 boot camp, all right? Now, a boot camp is an assessment conference for future church planters. And out of these assessment conferences, they're really intense, and, and it's a high number. It's something like 70% uh, just get told no right off the top, and that's that. It's very intense because the Acts 29 Network is very serious about planting churches and, and planting healthy churches that plant more churches. And this conference that was coming up was about a month after we had already started uh, Sacred City Church. And so my wife and I, we go down to Louisville and we go to this assessment and all kind of funny stuff happened, but I don't have time to tell all the stuff. You'll hear it sometime if you stick around here. But in this assessment, three godly seasoned um, Acts 29 church planters sat around a table with us for something like three hours, um, really just asking question after question, discussing our plans for planting Sacred City, asking us about our family, asking us about our theology, asking us about all kinds of different things. It was really a nerve-wracking and intense conversation. But after this conversation, in their words, they told me, Justin, your entrepreneurial and your leadership scores are really high, but what we're worried about is your heart. We know if we throw you in the deep end, you'll figure it out, you'll swim. You know, you'll figure out how to swim, you'll figure out how to plant this church. We think you can kind of build the plane in the sky, but we're concerned that five years down the road, you're going to see all of these glaring weaknesses and they're going to come to fruition in your church and you're going to look back with regret and you're either going to have to replant the church or you might even just crash and burn the church. We're concerned about your soul. We're concerned about your heart. We're concerned about some weaknesses we see in your character. And that ended up being the most sanctifying conversation I had ever had up until that point. That right now, looking back, I mean, it was brutal then, but looking back, I am so thankful for the Acts 29 network and those men who loved me enough to stand there and in my face say, you know what, I, we don't think it's a good idea that you plant this church right now. But now I hope you can see the problem. We had already planted the church, <laughs> right? And we were not about, and listen, here's the deal. You know, you get fired from your job, you're an eight. You want to prove yourself anyway. You start this church. 150 people show up. Then you go to some other guys and they tell you to close it down. You don't want to come back and admit to everybody you were wrong. You want to come back and go, hey, guys, I know I said we we're going to rally and we we're going to charge the hill, but now we're not. Like it was the, honestly, it was the most difficult decision that I've ever had to make. 
At first, when they told us to do it, we were, Amanda and I both go, there's no way. We have 150 souls that we're accountable to and that we're responsible to, and these people don't go to other churches. They, they call us their pastor. We can't just bail on them and abandon them and go do some church planting residency, which is what they wanted us to do, somewhere else. But after prayer and thought, by the end of that day, we were out to dinner, and a man and I looked across the table from one another, and we go, this seems so dumb, and I'm so angry about it, but it also seems like the right thing to do. And so we decided to humble ourselves and take these men advice and come home. And that next Wednesday, I mean, people were blowing up my phone. How'd the assessment go? How'd the assessment go? And I'm ghosting everybody, <laughs> including my mom. I'm, like, I'm not having this conversation yet. All right. And that next Wednesday night, we came back and we announced our decision to the congregation and we stopped our weekly gathering and I went back into construction to support my family and uh, just for a few months. And then a few months later, uh, after Amanda had Zoe, our second child, we moved to Omaha, Nebraska to be a part of uh, a church planting residency with two Acts 29 churches there. And listen, our, our time in Omaha was really, really difficult. Uh, we lived in a small third floor apartment with two young kids just the groceries, okay? Three flights of stairs every day, no elevator, right? Or, you know, it's just, it was a nightmare. Two little kids, new city, new town, no friends, no family. For the first time, we're completely away from our family, right? We burned through all of our life savings. Uh, I was only work, I could only work part-time. I was working part-time at Whole Foods uh, during that time as I completed my residency. And it was really hard. It was really difficult. But at the same time going through this, Amanda and I both felt God's nearness in a very special way. We knew that this was what God had called us to do. We didn't know what was going on at home. We didn't know if we were ever going to be able to come back. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we knew God had called us to do this in this season. And this was the first time in my life where I had elders, pastors, who I could look up to and were taking an active role in my discipleship. Up until this point, I was kind of a gifted guy. I could talk and I could preach. And so pretty much they would just put me up on stage and say, you do your thing. And then they would let me do that. And it was not good. It was very foolish. But for the first time, I had guys that put their arm around me, walked and said, hold on, let's talk about how you're doing that. Or let's talk about how you're shepherding your wife or how you're shepherding your kids. Let's talk about what the gospel looks like in your everyday life. And it was my soul just kind of thrived in that environment. And for the first time in a decade, I was outside of leadership. I wasn't having to preach week in and week out. I wasn't having to lead. And so my soul really flourished. It was there I learned how to read and study like never before, where I developed deep friendships and learned how the gospel can shape a person's entire life. And it's, I, I learned how to be what we call now a gospel-centered husband and father. I'm not being overly dramatic or just talking like a preacher when I say that our time in Omaha changed our lives. It was about eight months into that residency where God started to speak to me about Sacred City. It felt like the first eight months was really personal for me. God was working on my heart and he was working on idols and false identities that I had kept for a long time. And then over kind of the next year, God began to shape, okay, this is what I've done in you, but now how are you going to bring that home to the Quad Cities? And every time I thought about Sacred City and I thought about our future, God would bring me back to the text that was read for us today. Acts chapter 2, 22 through 41. So if you could open up your Bibles, we're going to go through that really quickly. And now if you don't know, just some context, what you see in Acts chapter 2 is the church of Jesus Christ in its infancy. Jesus had already made some disciples and then he uh, was crucified and he was resurrected and he was glorified to the right hand of the Father and then he sent the Holy Spirit. And now right now we have the church beginning, okay? The church in seed form. And what we see right away is it really isn't fancy, it's rather simple, and it's, it's got a simple recipe, but its impact is eternal. 
We're going to look at the recipe. It's got really three ingredients. We, call it, we say it like this. The three ingredients of the church are gospel, community, and mission. Let's look. Chapter 2, verse 22. I'm going to go quickly through this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Peter's speaking here. Really the first gospel sermon. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Now this is interesting. This is not a myth. This is not looking back on something in ancient history and writing about it. This is Peter speaking to his contemporaries, people that were witnesses to the real life of Jesus Christ. And here, even people who didn't believe necessarily that Jesus was the Son of God all believed that Jesus was a miracle worker, that Jesus did signs, that Jesus was a real person. Why? Because they saw it with their own eyes. Everyone believed that. The Jews who rejected Jesus and crucified Jesus believed he was a miracle worker. So Peter starts preaching what we're going to call now the gospel, but he begins with some historical evidence. Okay? Verse 23, this Jesus, the same Jesus who did the miracles, who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So he's saying, you aren't, you know, you really aren't the ones who are guilty for doing this, or you aren't the only ones who are involved in making this happen. God's predestined plan is the one who brought this about. But he says this, you, you are still accountable. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Here's some historical facts of the gospel. Jesus Christ lived. Jesus Christ did miracles. Jesus Christ died on a cross. And look at verse 24. God raised this Jesus up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. It wasn't possible because he was the son of God. It wasn't possible because he was sinless, right? For, and then I'm going gonna, I'm I'm gonna to skip this, but he... he Quotes David from Psalm 16. David's talking about you won't let your Holy One see corruption. He wasn't speaking of himself there. He was looking forward as a prophet to Jesus that would come. Um, jump down to 31. Speaking of David. David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, this same Jesus, not a different Jesus, God raised up. And look, of that, we are all witnesses. All of the apostles, all of the disciples, hey, we, we have witnessed Jesus. Over 500 people saw Jesus after his crucifixion, saw him after his burial because Jesus Christ was really resurrected being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out on, poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. That is the Holy Spirit. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies of your footstool. Psalm uh, 110, verse one there, again, prophesying about Jesus. Look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, here's what, what is that? That is the gospel in a nutshell, okay? Jesus Christ was sinless. Jesus Christ was the son of God. Jesus Christ was a miracle worker. Jesus Christ really lived. Jesus Christ was crucified and dead and was buried. Jesus Christ was resurrected. Jesus Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ and the Father sent the Holy Spirit that's filled the church. He's preaching the gospel. Now look what happens. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It means the sermon brought conviction. And I'm going to say this. You didn't hear a sermon unless it cuts you to the heart. If you're not brought to conviction, then maybe that's a Bible study. Maybe that's a Bible lesson. Maybe that's an encouraging pep talk. That's not a sermon. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the, the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, here's the response to the conviction. Repent means change directions, change your mind, change your behavior. You were walking this way, worshiping this God, worshiping these gods in this way. 
Turn here, worship Jesus in this new way. And be baptized. That is going underwater, being buried with Christ in his baptism and coming up like resurrected, having your sins washed away from you for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, look, is for you and what? For your children. Here's one of the reasons we baptize babies around here. Promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. So those who haven't heard the gospel yet, this promise is for them too. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, <laughs> see his sermon wasn't just that short, right? In many other words, Okay, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So Peter's saying, don't go the way of the world. Repent, change directions, look to Jesus, the one who's lived the life you couldn't live and died the death that you deserve and was raised to new life and wants to give you the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, so those who received his word, received his word, were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay, first thing I want us to see here. Church planting isn't a really about having a worship gathering and singing some songs and hiring some assistants and doing all this churchy type stuff. Church planting is actually planting the seed of the gospel in the soil of a particular culture. Here it was a first century Jewish culture. Preaches the gospel into that specific culture. Trusting the sovereignty of God. The definite foreknowledge of God whom God brings, you know, who God brings in to, to hear the gospel. Why? To bring about a thriving church. So church planting has to start first and foremost with a proclamation, a preaching, a planting of the gospel. And it's actually the gospel itself that does the work. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the one that's bearing fruit and growing, Colossians 1 says, all around the world. The gospel does it. It's not the music. It's not the cool pastor or the catchy sermon series or the really smiley greeters. It's none of those things. It's the gospel. So Peter preaches the gospel. The people believe it. They receive it. They get, and about 3,000 of them get baptized. Now, that's an amazing move of God. But there's more. Wouldn't it be, I mean, no, it wouldn't be nice. But I think in America, we kind of think that's where it stops. Like it's a big old Billy Graham crusade. And just, woo, salvation, everybody's saved. That's what we need. And then that's just where it stops. But that's not what happens here. There's more. Salvation isn't meant to be a one-time experience that you experience as an individual, but just between you and God. There's more to salvation than getting saved. Our conversion to Christ brings us into his people. It brings us into a covenant people, a community of people who live differently than the rest of the world. So your baptism isn't just a baptism into Christ. It's a baptism into a new community. It's a baptism into a new body, a body of people. And it's in this community where our lives begin to change. It's in relationship to others that we begin to put to death some of the sins of our flesh and we begin to put on the character of Christ. It doesn't just happen between you and God in a worship experience or you and God in the scripture reading or memorization. It happens in a community of people. The inward work that God does in our heart through salvation God works it out into our everyday life as we practice, we could say, gospel hospitality with other Christians. Look at verse 42. And they, that's all the converts, all of those who just got saved, all of those who just got baptized, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and prayers. First off, we need to see that word devoted. It wasn't just, hey, every, whenever I feel like it, I'm gonna go to church and hang out with these people. There was a devotion. 
There was a connection. There was a commitment. This now took priority over all the other things of life, right? It took priority over work. It took priority over the kids' activities. It took priority sometimes even over the kids, that they were devoted to this Jesus who had saved them, and now they were devoted to this people that God had brought them into. What were they devoted to? The apostles' teaching, doctrine, sermons. They were devoted to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed, look, were together and had all things in common. Now, what does that mean to be together and have all things in common? That means when one person had a need, somebody else from the community would meet that need. That's what it means. They wouldn't just say, well, we'll pray about that, brother, and hopefully, you know, God will provide that some miraculous way. He'll just open up the windows of heaven and drop down money out of heaven, right? No, no, he said, oh, you have a need? Well, guess what? I've got a little bit of a surplus here. I'm going to meet that need for you. And day by day, verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together. So they had this kind of, let's just say for our purposes, the Sunday gathering together and breaking bread in their homes. They're eating together in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So this really is a picture of what we call gospel community, that they're living as a new people. God has always desired to have a people that would show the world what he's like. And this is where it's kind of finally really happening, that the spirit is sent to them and now they're living these self-sacrificial lives and they're hospitable and they're welcome each other into their homes and they're devoted to the word of God and they're devoted to praying and they're devoted to meeting each other's needs. And then, listen, listen, All of us, everyone needs the gospel. Everyone needs a community like this. And you can't get it on Facebook. And you can't get it on Instagram. And you can't get it in your fraternity. And you can't get it in your athletic group. And you can't get it at your gym. There's there's something unique that the gospel itself is the power of God that produces not just salvation, but saved people living in a new way inside this new saved community. Something special about it. And what's really interesting is this this group isn't just this closed, insular group that huddles up in the midst of the dark and crooked generation and just prays together and just, you know, goes deep with one another. They're also, they're kind of like outward facing. It says there at the last verse of 47, or last half of 47, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they were a missional community. They weren't just living this certain way. They were living a certain way that was attractive to others. They were sharing the gospel with others. They were inviting other people into this community to live in this new way with Jesus as their king. And there was something deeply attractive about it. And God was saving people through it. Now this, I believe, is the biblical concept of church. It is not a building. It's a gospel-centered people living in community and on mission for the glory of God. It's really not that spectacular. It's pretty normal. Teaching, fellowship, eating, sacraments, prayer, giving, meeting needs, praising God, leading others to come to know and love our gracious Father. This is what real church looks like. A gospel-centered family on the mission of God to make disciples who make disciples. So, as I'm studying this and I'm learning this in Omaha and I'm in this text, I'm like... I kind of had known this text the whole, you know, my whole, growing up my whole life. And I would talk to pastors, well, yeah, but you just can't do that today. People just won't do that. They're, they're too busy. They got too much stuff going on. And so it's all we can do to get them here on a Sunday morning. So you just, this, it just can't happen in our culture this day and age. And I'm just bullheaded enough 
to go, I think you're a moron, actually. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to see if we can just do this. And if there's only 20 of us, 30 of us, I think it's better to have 30 people doing this than have 150, 200 people come into a Sunday gathering who think they're doing church, but in reality, they're not really making disciples and they're not really living like this new community. So you know what? What if we just go back and try to do this? What if this is our blueprint for Sacred City? And you know what? It's been now eight years and this is what we've been doing. And we have never had a new vision We've really never had a new campaign. We've never had a new strategy. We've never come to you go, you know what, guys? Actually, I've changed my mind. We're not going to do this anymore. We're going to do cell groups or small groups or whatever the thing is. No, we're going to stick with this thing we call missional community, this way of doing church that we see here in Acts chapter 2. And so eight and a half years ago, we moved back to the Quad Cities to try this idea of a gospel-centered missional church out. Now, when we first started, we had a missional community in our living room. That's where we started. And then that started to multiply. And once we had three missional communities in our city. So when we started, we didn't even have a Sunday gathering. We didn't have this at all. We only had missional community where we'd eat together and pray together and work through, you know, different curriculum and the gospel together. But then once we got three missional communities, we launched a closed Sunday gathering. Okay, this closed Sunday gathering. We would meet on a Sunday night. Actually, I think I have a picture of this closed Sunday gathering. Now listen, cell phones have gotten a whole lot better in the last nine years, okay? So yeah, there's really people there, but there's very few people there. There's probably about 40 people, and that's Joel up there leading worship, and it was in another church called the Connection Church, and uh, East Bettendorf let us use their space on Sunday night, and we would because none of our people had ever heard liturgy. None of our people had ever had expositional uh, preaching. Uh, The first Sunday, we came in and we did this thing, and people asked, what is this? Are we Catholic now? What's going on? We we didn't understand it, so we had to get our people acclimated. And then the first of the year in January of 2012, um, as our MCs continue to multiply, uh, we launched our first Sunday gathering morning service right here in the Junior Theater. We had 69 adults and 20 kids. That's it. Not much has really changed, except there's a whole lot of empty seats there. Uh, We blocked off the balcony, and there was still a whole lot of empty seats. And that was our first Sunday gathering. Now, over the past years, God has brought growth to us, We are now a church of 17 missional communities. That is 357 adults. Now, that's pretty cool, because if you add in our kids, that's like like another 60, and then the Arguellos, that's another 40. So (laughs) there's at least 100 kids there. Uh, So we got a pretty expansive reach now here in the Quad Cities, right? We have baptized 128 people, 10 this past year. Got that up there? Yep. 10 this past year. We have seen the gospel bring people into God's family. We have seen the gospel bring people into a deep relationship with one another as they live in community, a relationship when they first show up and they go, this is really weird. I would never be a part of this. I'll never do this, but I'll come back next week. And then, and then they just keep coming back, and all of a sudden, they realize that there is something good, there is something special about this gospel community. And then we've seen God change these people into missionaries and send them out into our city to live in a different way, to tell others about God. And so every one of our missional communities is on mission to a specific people in a place in our city. And there's some of the people that we are on mission to. We've got safe families, we've got 180, we've got family resources, Meridian Senior Living, King's Harvest, Youth Hope, Hope at the Brick House, my MC and a couple other MCs serving there this Friday night, making meals and having a good time with with some of the poor in our community. And God has been doing this in our city through the power of the gospel. Now, how else are we living missionally? Three years ago today, we sent out our first ever church plant to Moline, Illinois. We sent 50 people 
and 138,000 with Sam Schmidt. That's a big check. We blessed him with, right? And by God's grace, they have doubled in their first year and the Lord has given them a beautiful historic church building with plenty of space for them to grow into. We use it a lot. If you've been to a, a, worship, a worship night or you've been to one of our MC celebrations or Porterbrook, we use it over there. Now, that's not the only way we've been planting churches. We also give 10% of our monthly budget, everything that we bring in, monthly, yearly budget, we give 10% back to church planting to continue to the work of planting churches in the Midwest and beyond. This past year, we gave $70,000 to plant gospel-centered churches, okay? We gave, boom, 70,000, there it is, right there. 7, 000, almost 7,000, so 1% of that goes to Acts 29 to help um, unreached people in hard, in hard to plant places um, around the world, Afghanistan, different places like that, we're planting churches. So we give 1% to our Acts 29 to plant churches kind of globally, and the rest we kind of break down uh, within a local and a global sphere that we control. Um, with that money, we supported the planting of Harvest City Church in Iowa City. That's Scott Gaskell. We were basically giving them for the first two years. We're giving them $500 a month. Planted Harvest City Church in Iowa City. They're now self-supportive, so I think we're going to um, change something with the coming new year there. We, here, we gave $24,000 to Cornerstone Church, an inner city church plant in Detroit. So if you look up Detroit, Detroit has had a hard time, and it is a really a despondent city. And my brother, Tyler St. Clair, is planting a church there. And we just gave them a check, I think in December, for $24,000 to help them get a new building and to see the gospel move forward in Detroit. He's coming uh, to preach in a couple months, and he's going to be speaking at the next Porterbrook um, gathering that we've got there. Um, we also, we gave Tim Allison $6,000 or $500 a month as well. And this enabled Tim, Tim worked for Nestle Corporation. And this, for the first time in his ministry, he, it allowed him to go full-time uh, planting churches or planting his church in Bloomington, Illinois. And, right, we've also begun to support Casey Shutt and King's Cross Church in Oklahoma City. If you didn't know, Casey was an elder here at Sacred City. He was uh, the former headmaster of Morningstar Academy. And, we, and he uh, went to be a part, uh, took a new job in Oklahoma City. And now he's planting King's Cross Church. We've given him 4000 so far, but we've committed to giving him $1,000 a month to plant a gospel-centered church in Oklahoma City. Now, whew, on top of all that, we've given over $20,000 to fishers of men to support church planters in Kenya. Now, that's Joshua. If you know Joshua, we've given that this past year. I think we've built that building. We've done all kind of crazy stuff over there in Kenya. Now, all of that to say, for those of you who have given this past year to the work of Sacred City Church, this is some of the stuff that we've accomplished through that gift. That your generos generosity hasn't just stayed here at Sacred City, but it's went forth to Iowa City, to Detroit, to Bloomington, to around the world, to Kenya, that your generosity has enabled us to plant churches around the world. Now, on top of all of that, last January, the elders felt God leading us to bring on some young men to train for gospel ministry. And at that time, we needed to raise an additional $7,000 a month to make that happen. Uh, that was a really big goal, okay? That was really kind of scary and concerning. And I don't know if God will do it, but let's see if, if he can make it happen. $7,000 a month. And yet, by God's grace, we did it. In June, we accepted three young men into our pastoral residency program, and we are training them for full-time ministry. So you see them right there. Uh, you can tell Bryson just woke up. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of... It, it, we took that at 1 o'clock, by the way, p.m. <laughs> so it's okay. Uh, now, why, why are we... What are we doing? Am I just trying to brag on this? No, it's important for us as a church to look back, to remember and thank God for his provision to us in 2019. 
that God has given all of us the ability to earn wealth. He's given us the ability to go out there and make a living, to earn our living. And then in worship, with Jesus as the center, we get to give a portion of that living back to him through our tithes and our offerings. And this year, God has met our every need as a church, and our generosity has fueled the planting of new churches, the training of young men for gospel ministry, and has positioned us now to take another bold step to move the gospel forward in the Quad Cities. This past year, just in this Sunday gathering, we've added on average 50 more people in this gathering. Now, 50 more people, but actually... It's been getting, you know, it's been snowballing. In November, we actually averaged 90 more people in this gathering than the year before. We also added 42 new members to Sacred City this last year. Now, this has caused us to prayerfully pursue multiplying this gathering into two new gatherings next week. Now, why? We're asking God to do several things with this. Number one, we want, us, we want him to take us wider. We want more people to come into the kingdom, more people to hear this gospel, more people to hear this message about Jesus and begin to live this new life in a new community. We want that to happen. But we also want this gathering to just be more hospitable for those who are already coming and those that we are on mission to. We don't want to be fighting over parking spots. We don't want to be fighting over seats. And we want also God to do something special in us as once again, we get to bring kind of our preferences and our comfort to God and say, you know what, Jesus? We want your will above our will. We want your desires above our desires and we're willing to lay down some of our comfort for you and for your kingdom. We want to do all these things as we multiply this gathering next week. Now, been a great year. But there is still inherent, there's inherent danger in success. When things are nice and comfortable and growing at a moderate pace, it becomes so easy to just push away, to disengage and say, I'm not really needed. Nobody's even going to miss me if I'm not there. One of the greatest dangers we face as a young, growing church, we're still pretty young, is to begin to feel like individuals don't matter, like we as an individual don't really matter to the church, like we aren't integral to the mission of the church, like my gifts don't really matter, my giving doesn't really matter, my presence doesn't really matter. And we see all the other people and we think, you know what, I'm sure someone else will do it. Someone else will do the slides. Someone else will sing the song. Someone else will greet people. Someone else will serve in the kids' ministry. Someone else will get the communion supplies ready. Someone else will go to the missional community. Somebody else will make the meal. Somebody else will take care of the baby. Somebody else will do it. I'm not really needed. And when that starts to happen, the church really begins to die. It begins to stagnate. And here's the problem. It can go years like that and nobody know it because people are still showing up and things are still happening and things are getting done and everyone thinks that things are going well. But before the no, they know it, the church begins to do the same thing that stagnant water begins to do in a pond. There's no, if it's not flowing and it's not moving, it gets unhealthy. It slowly becomes a breeding ground for all kinds of sickness and disease so that said, I am asking God in 2020 that this would be the year that we would do two things. We would simultaneously dwell deeper together in the gospel and we would reach wider. That it's not just about multiplying. It's not just about even like in the years past, we've been praying and asking God to double us through discipleship. It's not just about growing wider. It's about going deeper together all of us being apart, all of us being intimately connected into a missional community, all of us serving and using our gifts to bless the church and to be on mission to those outside these walls, all of us dwelling deeply together in community and on mission. Now, 
So we're not just asking God for more. We're not just asking God for more people and more churches and more missional communities and more people in this gathering. We're asking God to take us deeper, to help us dwell with him in a place and at a pace that is good for our souls. Now, for this to happen, the same, it's nothing new. The same thing that had to happen in Acts chapter 2 has to happen in us. And we maybe have been around for eight years, and we think we've got this thing figured out, and I hope this morning we can push pause, we can reevaluate our life, and we can take it through that grid of gospel, community, and mission once again. But all of us need to restructure our lives. Now listen, many of us, we go hard, and then we like, bail and we take a break for a long time or a season or we push back and we need to recharge and that's okay. But at the beginning of this year, I want us to restructure, to reevaluate our lives once again and go, okay, am I all into this thing? Am I all into this gospel community and mission thing? So that's why our theme for this next year and really the theme for this next sermon series in 2020 is Jesus over everything. I'm asking that God would dwell deep with us, and that we would dwell deep with him, that we would spend more time in his presence this year than we did last year, that we would read his word more this year and dwell and let it dwell richly in us on a daily basis, that we would memorize it so we will have it available to us when we most need it, that our time and daily prayer would deepen and we would come to know our Lord in a much more intimate way in 2020. And then out of that inner fullness of what the Spirit is doing in our hearts and in our life, our life living in community and on mission would be that much more fruitful in 2020. That's what we're asking. Now, that's kind of where we've been as a church, and that's where we're moving into in this new year in 2020. It's been a great year for our church, but I truly believe, as we said in the book of Ruth, the final sermon in the Ruth series, the best is yet to come. Now listen, what does that mean for all of us? It means reevaluate your life. Where are you at? Do you need, some of you, you just, you need to believe the gospel. What must I do? What must I do? What do I need? You need to believe the gospel. You need to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Secondly, some of you, you've already done that and you're coming on a Sunday morning and and you're here and that's great, but you really need to take that next step and go into gospel community. Step into one of our missional communities. You can find that information in the lobby. Whoever invited you here, you can ask them. You can find it on our website. Um, And we would love to see you join a missional community in 2020. And then if you're already living in community and you've already believed the gospel, the last step is to live on mission. What would it look like this year if you reached one person, one neighbor, one family member, one coworker? If you met them for coffee, you invited them into your missional community, you invited them into this Sunday gathering, you followed up with them, you shared the gospel with them. What would it look if you said you're going to pray all, maybe all year long for one person this year? I'm going to pray for this person every day this year or three times a week this year. What would God do? I don't know. Maybe it's time to find out. So, and maybe you're here and you're doing all those things and you're killing it. You're awesome. And it's time to believe the gospel again and be encouraged again and serve again and kind of just recommit our life to what Jesus Christ is doing in our city for his glory and our good. I'm gonna pray for us this morning. Father, I'm reminded now, Lord, of, of, of the fact and the reality, the studies that came out this past year that said we are the 15th post-Christian city in the United States, ahead of even San Francisco, that in the Quad Cities, people are not going to church, people are not following Jesus, really at a record level. And yet in the midst of that reality, you are growing this church. You've expanded our reach. You are doing something special here. And Father, it's not because of our talent. It's not because of our abilities. It's because the gospel is being preached and the gospel produces its own fruit. I pray that you would remind us all of that this morning. That once again, we would come back to it and we just remember that Jesus Christ is on the throne and Jesus Christ is drawing men and women into his community, into his family, and we get to be a part of it. 
It is the joy of my life to serve this church. It is the joy of my life to be a part of a growing, thriving, vibrant church that is passionate about you. And Father, I pray that those who are here this morning who aren't a part of this church, who don't know what this deep and meaningful community is like, I pray that you'd bring them in. I pray you tear down the walls that are holding them outside, the, the fear, the anxiety, the, the busyness, the scheduling, all the excuses that we have. That Father, this would be the year that those walls come down and you would bring them into a life-changing community. Father, we want to do this not just for the, you know, for the fame of our name, but we want to do it for the fame of your name. And so would you glorify yourself by bringing people into your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.